Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody is having a beautiful, good Friday. I hope the week has been well. hope the sun is shining, the birds are singing, the wind is at your back. Got a great show for you today, the one and only Patrick McConnell, everybody. He's a, uh, a freelance writer, an explorer, an adventurer, a lover of life's mysteries, and he's coming to us from the Sacred Valley of Peru. As a writer, you may have seen some of his work uh, He's written from everybody from Cyfront, Tripsitter, Medium, Well of Fresh Minds, Fungi Academy, Double Blind Mac. If you've read anything lately about psychedelics, I'm sure that you've come across this article in, in all these different platforms. But Patrick, I'm super stoked to have you here today. How you doing, my friend? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me, George. Yeah, man. I'm excited. I guess, you know, we've got a bit of a bio on you, but... How does one end up in the sacred valley of Peru? Like, how did you get down there, man? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was never the plan. I can tell you that. Like, <laughs> my wife and I, we found ourselves in Latin America during COVID, and just stayed. We just stayed down here, and um, we were just traveling to Peru. We were looking around, figuring out where we'd like to maybe put down roots, but mostly, basically, just exploring. And um, as one might expect, we we drank ayahuasca. And uh, it's funny because like, oh, so, so like my wife, when we got here, she she cannot like it's pretty cold. We're 3000 meters. We arrive in Cusco and we've just been in Nicaragua on like a tropical island. So she she was freaking out like she did not want to be here. She did not want it in any way. Um, so we were we were not having the best time, to be mm. honest. It was a little challenging. But we go to drink ayahuasca. We're like, well, we're here. We might as well go do the medicine. And at the end of the ceremony. She turns to me and she's like, I, I saw myself living in Peru. And I turned to her and I'm like, oh, I saw the exact same thing. Whoa. Yeah, we saw ourselves living in this beautiful like adobe house in the mountains. And like, so crazy, crazier part is I was in the Sacred Valley uh, five years previous 
And in my very first ayahuasca ceremony, I saw myself living in PSAC. And I had just started dating my wife then. And I was like, oh, no, like that, that's impossible. That will never, ever happen. I just like put it aside because I knew, <laughs> I knew she would never do it. But, you know, lo and behold, we came here. And after one ceremony, yeah, we both kind of saw the same thing. And then things just kind of started aligning, you know, like we found the right place, started connecting with people. Work started to really just, just yeah, work out for us here. So, yeah, it was kind of, it was, it just sort of happened, to be honest. And, and you could say ayahuasca made it happen for sure. You know, it's so beautiful to see the way life unfolds when you listen to, when you just listen. You know, there, there seems to be something that is pulling you or pushing you in a direction that wants you to unfold a certain way. I heard a quote once that was, uh, the things that you're interested in are interested in you. And it, it sounds like that's kind of what's going on down there, man. Yeah, I love that. I love that. No, because we, we both work in psychedelics and and like I was already writing about it and, and pretty deep into this kind of kind of world. And we 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 just found ourselves in a place where it's completely open, you know, like you go to the cafe and it's normal to talk about your ayahuasca experience. That's what everybody's doing. So that you, there's no stigma. There's no weirdness about it. You, like people, they, they get it, if you will. Yeah. You know, you don't have to like explain to your grandma, like, oh, I'm drinking this jungle medicine. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. So what... Let me ask you this. Like you've written a lot of different articles and while they they um are sort of satellites around psychedelics, like they all have their own flavor to them. How, what is it? How do you get inspired to write them? Like do you come across something that just interests you or is something introduced to you or is it a friend that has a thing or how do you begin the writing process? What's that look like for you? Um, You know, it's a little of both. Honestly, a lot of it is just like, hey, like we want this because Google wants this, you know, like the SEO mm -hmm. says you should you should <laughs> do this. So, you know, some of it's that. Um, but for some of the publications, yeah, I, I just get to pitch things like, um, I mean, I just spend a lot of time reading about it. Reading the science actually is surprisingly inspiring, you know, like there's just yeah. like a lot of really cool ideas in there. Talking to people here, um, getting exposed to different plants, different traditions. So it's kind of just whatever, yeah, whatever comes alive and and you know, what, what people, what I think people will resonate with, you know, when I'm, when I'm trying to write something, I definitely like, there's a lot of psychedelic content now. So I try to write something that at least has like a little bit of a section that maybe is saying something a little bit new or different, or at least a different take. Like it's important to have that little like creative spark in there as opposed to just recycling. So. Yeah. One of my favorite ones was the article on the microbiome. You know, I, I, you don't see a whole lot of people talking about that. Can you share, can you maybe share with the audience for those who may have not been able to read it in detail or got to see it, like maybe a little, a synopsis of, of what that is and how it came to be? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that is a complex topic. Like that article yeah. is a summary of some, some heady, like complicated stuff. It's like a whole universe down there. Like literally the numbers of, you know, flora in our gut is in the trillions. Um, but what's interesting is, so there's like this entire ecosystem in the gut and then, when we introduce psychedelics, psychedelics are working on serotonin receptors. And um, I wish I could remember the stat off top, but it's, you know, some large percentage of our serotonin receptors are actually in the gut. So that got people thinking of like, oh my goodness, like, is this, how is this affecting the gut microbiome? So when they started digging into this, like they haven't actually done the research. It's actually mostly theoretical at this point. Um, but there's some ideas suggesting that there could be different microbes are being affected of course, by the psychedelic, but then the microbes are affecting the way that the psychedelic is metabolized and changing how it would work within the body. 
Um, and then there's kind of like a cascade of all of these like very complicated chemical reactions that I cannot summarize for you. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a, there, a few of the researchers that I've talked to over the course of interviewing people, like people really want to do the research, but it's very expensive. It's really mm. expensive to take all these like poop samples and like analyze for all these different microbes because there's so many of them too, to untangle this like, like it's a mind boggling web, like it's a whole other ecosystem. And you can imagine all of the different interactions and systems and stuff inter interwoven. It's, it's pretty amazing. It is amazing. You know, and there's, there's so much language around the, the idea of like, you know, growing up, I always heard, Oh, go with your gut or follow your heart. You know, like there's, there's so much that goes into this idea of, of psychedelics that we've only scratched the surface on. And, you know, it would be interesting. Like we see these brain maps and what's happening with neuroplasticity and connectivity, but like what also is happening in the gut? I mean, is, is there's neurotransmitters down there too, right? Like, I mean, yep. what, it's so fascinating to think about it, One one of the things that really connected me to this article was I think right when it came out, I, I had seen it and I was actually lucky enough to be on a call where uh, Dennis McKenna was given a speech and he took questions afterward. And I had asked him, I'm like, hey, what have you seen some of this new research? And what do you think about psychedelics in the gut? And he was like, ah, it's a great question. And I don't know, but it's fascinating. And so in a weird way, like I got to see your article and then talk to him. And so you guys are like forever connected for me. It's such a fascinating <laughs> concept, man. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that association. He's a legend. Would love to ask him that question as well. Yeah. Is there a... um? Is there like a favorite article that you have written in a little bit that or over the last, you know, year or year and a half that was special to your heart? Yeah, so probably the most recent one in or a couple ago in Double Blind uh, about Mapacho, mm -hmm. so like sacred yeah. tobacco. Um, it's just, you know, like ever since like I first discovered tobacco when I was like very, very young, like stole grandma's cigarette. But I, it was like my first like altered state, if you will. Yeah. Um, but it really affected me. I was like, whoa, like you can take plants and feel different. And, you know, I, I was always just really interested in tobacco and I've always had a strong connection with it. I always really liked it, even though, you know, it's like it kills people. Like, I'm not saying it doesn't do that, but, um, then getting connected to how they use it down here in ceremony. Um, I don't know. It kind of just like some, in a weird way, put my own fascination with it in perspective, you know, that it, it was sacred, that you can use it as a prayer. And like consume it consciously um as opposed to you know like the habitual thing which which i i admittedly did as well um and then just learning a lot about um yeah like tobaqueros people who work like almost exclusively with tobacco drinking it um and then like the spirit of the plant and like how they would interpret that and trying to try to unpack that with people it was just this really amazing experience down here of like really starting to connect to um to people who were experiencing plants in a way that I didn't really ever understand um, until I started to really, yeah, just dig into it. And, and yeah, concepts like using tobacco to amplify intent, you know, like that, that's like mm -hmm. one of the things that the plant could do. So when you would pray with it, then it's like, you're putting your intentions into that act of consuming it. But it's also like, yeah, it's just adds this multidimensional thing where I was like, oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I can use tobacco, but I just have to be like, you know, very careful about it and treat it in a really special way. Yeah, you know, it we're, It seems that at least myself and probably a few of the people I know, and maybe in the West even, we see tobacco in like a very shallow light where it's just like, oh, it's in cigarettes or, 
we know that it works like uh, nicotine works on a, the nicotide receptors or something like that. But what you had mentioned that there's a tea or something. People drink they, – they can actually drink from the plant. What, what does that look like? Yeah, so I haven't done that. I, I would love to actually. I'm very yeah. curious about it. But it, it sounds uh, – well, from, from my friends and, and from the tobacco I was interviewed, it's not necessarily pleasant. Like tobacco <laughs> – like nicotine is like – it's pretty toxic to be honest. Oh, it'll, you know, it'll like, get you. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And like, you know, like a lot of plants, like it's in the dose. So if you drink too much of it, like it'll, it'll kill you. So it's, it's something that they really, they study for quite a while and learn how to do very carefully. Um, and it's obviously like a pretty powerful purgative. <laughs> um, like there's a lot of cleaning going on. Um, and yeah, like, again, like I don't want to speak too much of it cause I haven't actually done it, but, um, they, they drink it. It's, it's very cleaning. It's, it's a plant that is said to connect people to other plants. So people will do it in plant dietas. And they'll drink mm. tobacco and often be working with one or multiple other plants um, along with these tobaccos who are guiding them through the process. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I, um, I grow some. And the beautiful thing about Hawaii, well, there's, there's a laundry list of beautiful things about Hawaii. But one of the things that I really enjoy is that the, the soil is so fertile and you can grow almost anything. And so I had bought some, uh, some tobacco plants. And I put them out in my yard and I was out there just kind of like checking out the, the little yellow flowers on them and stuff. And just walking through them, like the leaves had rubbed on my skin. And like within 15 minutes, I was like, I feel like, whoa. And I started feeling sick and I'm like, what is going on? And I looked it up and it was, it's a common thing. Like if you are new to tobacco or, you know, and, you, and you're out in a field of them, or I didn't really have a field. I had like six or seven plants, but I was, you know, having them rub up against my skin it'll get right into your skin, man. It's no joke. It's strong stuff. It's really yeah. strong stuff. I've also grown it as well. Yeah, it's it's no joke. Um, it's an amazing plant though. Like that, sure. I, I think that's one of the reasons it has such a place in like shamanism here and, and you know, all, like all through the Americas. Um, like it's, it's a very powerful plant that has influenced a lot of people. You can use it for altered perceptions. Like it, you know, it managed to travel around the world. It's like, I, I, I like to say it's one of the most successful plants ever. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's probably responsible for an incredible amount of profound change from writers to thinkers to architects to sports players. You know, I mean, it it, it has found its way into the the human story across the world. And like that's a you know, I, I want to stay there for a minute, because when I think about plants finding their way into the human story, I think of language and there's some very interesting ideas that have come out of South America from the, some of the different um, um, ethnobotanists that have gone down to study. And, and one of the stories I've heard was that a gentleman goes down, I think it was Jeremy Narby who wrote yeah. a book about the, book. the serpent. Yeah. Phenomenal. Right. And in that book, he told a story about going and, and meeting with a, a group of indigenous people in South America. And they were talking about, Oh, we talked to the plants and half of the, oh, half of the people are like, these guys are nuts. And they left. But like the the one guy that stayed, Jeremy and like another guy stayed, and the tribe was like they were kind of offended. Like what what all these dummies? How come they left? You know? And he explained to them, he's like, well, you know, people don't get it. But the story he gave about talking to the plants, the the one of the elders in the tribe, it said, look, here's how we talk to them. It's not like they're it's not like they're coming up and speaking English or speaking in in this. But here here's the most venomous snake in the jungle, and they showed a picture or they showed this guy this green snake with two white dots on its head. And he goes, here's this plant over here. Can you see the shape of the leaf is the exact same shape as the snake's head? And there's two white diamonds right where the snake is. That's clearly the antidote to the venom. 
And I remember, I remember reading that and just being like, just so blown away. Like, yeah, plants do talk to us. If you're willing to look, have an open mind, and maybe not have such a short-sighted idea of what language is supposed to be, but maybe what it can be. Have you come into contact with some things down there of that nature about plants and communication, indigenous people? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been interested in plant intelligence and plant communication for a long time, actually, before Beautiful. I got into to ayahuasca and stuff. There's this amazing author called Stephen Harry Buner. He's like a he's a herbalist, and um, he did a lot of work with um, like heart perception, um, like sort of like you know perception that's not from the mind. Um, and you know, he's just like a, a wizard of plants as well. So he got me onto this like idea of like, oh, like plants you can perceive plants, but you can't use your brain. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. I don't think I can do it, but I'm listening. Um, but then do, here doing i so I've only done one plant, plant dieta, like the restricted diet and then working with, with one plant for some time while drinking ayahuasca. But I, I encountered Bovensana and, you know, I was given all of these ideas of, of what it, it would need be like like this like beautiful amazonian mermaid and like it's gonna like it's water energy and my emotions are gonna move and all this stuff and i was like yeah like okay like this this sounds like something i need and i, I was actually i was blown away by how strong it was by how powerful the sense of something else that was not me being there and being in contact with me um particularly when i would so like in a dieta there's like a really restrictive diet and you're in solitude and you're just drinking this one plant every day and then you do a few ayahuasca ceremonies throughout so when i did my first ayahuasca ceremony after drinking this plant for a few days i was like it, it was just like it was there like it was this like energy it was this like i called it like a pixie like a fairy i don't know like pink blue purpley thing for me it's like i could see it moving around me and interact with it and it was just like you know like like i i, I like I spent a lot of time writing and like analyzing and like, I could tell you all these things of like, Oh, it's like my expectations and my brain created the hallucination <laughs> that they told me I'd have and like all this stuff. But you know what? Like, like nothing can change. It was like really, it was a really profound experience. Extremely, extremely surprising to me. Cause I like to think I'm pretty skeptical, but also pretty open. Um, and like, it just, it, it floored me. I, I'm very excited to do it again when I have time to get away, but I, I really do. I remain extremely open to that. There is something going on with the shamans and the plants that like, we just, we don't understand that we don't have a language for that because we don't have a rational explanation. We just have a really hard time from for, like, like forming that this is like a thing that they do. Um, so yeah, I remain open. Um, very open. <laughs> it's so fascinating. Now, what was that particular a set of rituals called like where you drink that and and you have you you have this restrictive diet you drink the ayahuasca and you also have that other plant what, what's that whole thing called again it's a dieta a dieta and, yeah. and that that is working with ayahuasca and another type of plant in particular yeah yeah like that's that's um they say that's how like the the you know the the ayahuasca is have learned how to work with the plants. Like if, if they're, if you ask them how, it's like, oh, we learned from the plants and the restrictive diet. Yeah. It's supposed to increase your sensitivity, um, eliminate distractions, um, clean the body. And then these other plants, because like you were saying in Jeremy Narby's book, like each plant, like has all of these different characteristics, yeah. a personality, a spirit. Um, and then 
in this like open receptive state with ayahuasca and a restrictive all kinds of things like no sex either no yeah. no media um then yeah it, it builds the sensitivity and can be a little bit more aware of some other stuff it seems again i'm not like super experienced with dietas like you could right. talk to some people who've done a lot of them here there's a lot in my community who are very deep on that path um but yeah it's a, it's um that <laughs> there's definitely something to it i was not quite the same afterwards do you think that like much like books in a library and each one has its story that if you were to do the dieta with different plants, like the different plants are almost like books in a library and they all have a spirit or they all have a spirit. I mean, not all the plants, but like there's probably a library of them, right? Yeah. I think there's a library of, of sort of more powerful Satan, like master plants, right. for example. Um, and yeah, that they like, my understanding is that every plant has a spirit. And I think that even other, um, things like stones or like um, metal, whatever, like all of these other materials and just things have like a spirit or like a vibration or an energy to them um, that can be learned from. Like there's stories of there's stories of vegetalistas, like people studying in the jungle, um, drinking gasoline, like doing only gasoline because it has a spirit and they would drink like tiny amounts of it every day to absorb. I, <laughs> I couldn't tell you, but something <laughs> from it, something. <laughs> It's fascinating to me to think that there's how big the world is and how many of us just get trapped in our own little bubble. You know, we, we, we it's so giant out there and, and so many of us live in our heads and live in this small little area and, and we're happy to do it. There's nothing wrong with it, but I, I really wish people would be willing to take chances that could have profound you know, could have profound consequences in their life. And I don't mean consequences as a pejorative, but consequences that are good, you know, that can change you and can help you grow. And it's beautiful. You know, you also had put down, um, a lot of people in the community talk about San Pedro. You recently, recently read an article about a beginner's guide to San Pedro. What's that look like? Yeah. So San Pedro, I'm pretty new to it actually. So I'm, yeah. I'm just a beginner as well, <laughs> Me too. but yeah, no, it's, um, you know, different plant, different energy. I, I'm I'm very infatuated with it, actually. I'm working on some more stuff on it now as well. Um, San Pedro, like, I found it to be just this, like, incredibly grounding. Like, mm. and, and it made me so present. And, you know, people were always like, oh, it's heart medicine, it's heart medicine, it's heart medicine. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel love or something. And it's like, no, it's like something else. It's really hard to put into words, but I was just a very present very able to just like perceive and connect with like where I was and who I was around. And um, yeah, it just brought me into this really beautiful headspace. And it's, it's a really long trip. And um, I just found it a lot gentler than something like ayahuasca, which, which is good. Like for me, like, like ayahuasca is pretty intense. I don't want to do that on the regularly for regular, like personally. Um, so yeah, yeah. Getting very interested in that one um, with active ingredient is mescaline and, yeah, there's, um, I'm actually learning it's, it's, um, the plant is being over harvested and it's interesting because it's been called like a sustainable psychedelic. It's been called, um, you know, like sort of like peyote, for example, is being mm -hmm. over harvested. It's also mescaline, another sacred cacti, but here it's just sort of like one of those things, like, we're just like, Oh, it's like all through the mountains here. Like it's kind of unlimited and it's <laughs> really not the case. It's really not the case. <laughs> you know, I, I've always found an interesting relationship between writing and speaking 
And the, it seems like when you're able to write, it somehow affects your ability to speak. And the, the, the better you can put your, at least for me, the more I can put my thoughts down in a, in a way that is coherent and maybe has some ionic pentameter, whatever, you can put it in these weird, you, know, you can put these forms down on paper, it helps you to speak. But then you add in psychedelics and it seems to shift the way in which you're able to communicate. Have you, first, I got two questions. The one is, have you found that relationship between language, writing, and psychedelics to be something that has affected you? And if so, have you found that different psychedelics allow you to express yourself in words in different ways? Yeah, wow, that's a, that's a great question. Um, it makes me think of San Pedro immediately, actually. Okay. Uh, because I found I could communicate on it, which was very exciting to me. Right. Um, like I went to one of the ceremonies actually for that article, Alonzo Del Rio, um, who's, you know, he's been working here for a long time. Um, he's actually, I would recommend looking him up on Spotify. Incredible okay. musician. He's really got some, some bangers in the medicine music space. You may okay. have heard his music if you listen to that kind of music. Um, but yeah, like, so a big part of that ceremony was communication. We went through all of these different stages, all of these different, altars with different um uh, like symbolism and mythology mm, and elements yes. behind them and we would speak from this place to the group offering <laughs> prayers to the fire well like you know like we were yeah. pretty, pretty i guess high on the medicine but like coming from that space it's just like i could get into this flow like i'm not really like a prayers guy like i'm not super ceremonial like i, I can get into it when it's happening but but you know, when I'm on the medicine and everyone else is doing it, I was able to just, just really tap into this other this other space, this other way of communicating, which, which yeah, I found to be found to be very very beautiful. Um, and to, yeah, to answer the first part, like yeah, I, I do think it has changed. It's changed the way I've expressed myself completely. Like when I first did psychedelics, like as a teenager, I was more a visual artist then, but I just like it changed everything. Like in a night, I just like could <laughs> could draw different shapes and perspectives and do things in like a completely different way. I mean, and like, yeah, Terrence McKenna talking about it too, just like being a, a machine of like using psilocybin and stuff to, to just get places with language that, you know, that a lot of us still can't. Yeah. Yeah. That's talk about someone who had a firm grasp on the, the idea of what language is like. It's, 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 it's music the way that guy talks. In the way he could get across ideas, which brings me to this idea that I've been thinking about lately. You know, is it possible? And I just want to, I'm just throwing this out here. There's no right or wrong answer, but as someone who's a writer who has experienced different types of um, medicines and altered states of consciousness, you know, it's not uncommon for someone at the height of a psychedelic experience to see either open eye or closed eye abstract geometrical images, usually three dimensions. It seems to me that like that in itself is a coding pattern or a form of language, or at least gives you a different perspective than you never would before. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if I, I guess this is another two part question. I'll throw it out here. I'm wondering if why the first part of the question is, do you think that we in the West have, have somehow put language and and uh, verbal acuity ahead of mental imagery. That's the first part of the question. And the second part of the question is, how do you think we can integrate um, abstract geometrical images into our behavior? Like, w will it transmit into language? Can we interpret it into language? I know it's not a perfectly formed question, but I'll throw it out there to you and, and see what you got. 
Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question. People, I've encountered quite a few people in the medicine space, I guess, that talk about um, like, like the, the codes. codes. Yeah, what and is like, that? Right, what is that? <laughs> to be honest, like, I'm not going to be able to give you a great answer. But, you know, I, I do, I, I mean, I guess I kind of just resonate with the idea that there's really something there. That yeah, there is some sort of like energy or resonance or some kind of communication that can be done through through symbols is how I think about it. Like it makes me think about, I'm no Jungian psychologist, but like Carl Jung, you know, like all the yeah. symbols like in the subconscious that like all these different archetypes and these things that be communicated. And yeah, it's entirely possible there's something there with geometry. Like geometry is just such a kind of an all-pervading pattern throughout life and and you know why wouldn't it be part of these other medicines that come from the same place it's it's a strange one because like if the codes if the codes are doing something for us i don't really know if we can as terence mckenna says like english it i, I don't really know how to do that <laughs> You're right. You're but right. i've had the experience of like seeing or even like more like feeling like seeing but feeling like this like resonance or something for example on ayahuasca with like wildly complex geometry that is it's it's beautiful but it, there's just like there's something else going on there that that again i'm not really gonna be able to to, to give you a, a logical rational anything about it yeah i think it's i think it's a more perfect logos in a way you know when you stare at these geometrical images it really gives you a better understanding of relationships. Like if you take a tesseract, for example, there's all these, you know, you're like, you're staring at it and trying to figure it out. But as you're analyzing this geometric image, I am subconsciously thinking about like, oh, maybe that's why my wife and my daughter think this thing. You know, it's like, it's like for some way you're able to turn the entire situation around the same way that that geometrical image at the height of a psychedelic experience moves in different ways. So too, at least in my opinion, are you getting a new perspective of how to think of your thoughts? And that's what I'm thinking when I, when I see those images as a coding pattern or a way to interpret relationships in a way I've never done before. And I'm glad you brought up young because I, there's another quote from Krishnamurti that I think kind of nails this. And it says, in oneself lies the whole world. And if you know how to look and learn, then the door is there and the key is in your hand. Nobody mm. on earth can give you either that key or the door to open except yourself. You know, and it's, 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 you, you can't English it, but that's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good for sure. I really like what you said about the, uh, uh, it's like, like I'm thinking it's like you can get metaphorical with it about relationships yeah. and how yeah. things are interconnected and related yeah. to each other. Like, like our brain will do something with it, but right. I don't think that's the whole thing, I guess, right. is more what I would say, but like, it, we, yeah. we definitely can derive so much meaning from, yeah. From, from what these images, yeah, they represent like, like the complexity of, of life and like how things are structured or how things relate. Like it's, it's, it's all there. Yeah. And, and it, it just goes like a, I'm so excited to talk to you and some other people in this space because it's like the, it's, I think psychedelics, they reveal things to you and it, and it calls into question the idea of learning. It calls into question the idea of education. It calls into question the idea of going to a school when, ev when perhaps everything is available to everybody, if you could kind of plug into it and maybe what I take away from those geometric images about relationships someone can see that exact same thing and have a different kind of an idea. Maybe it teaches them For something sure. else, but it's, 
it, it reminds me of, I think it's in Timaeus where Socrates is going into town and he's having this argument with someone about going on a trip and he brings over this kid and he, the, the kid draws a square with a line through it and he's just doing all this geometry in the sand. And Socrates is like, see, information is revealed to us. It's not that we've learned it, you know, and it's, it's just, it's so fascinating to me to get to read great literature, to read the classics, to talk to Patrick McConnell and the Sacred Valley and understand that we're all along these lines of, of learning in a similar way. And the school has always been there for us if we're willing to have an open mind and see the world as a child would see it with their imagination open. And it's just, it's so exciting to me. What, so if we, if we keep going down, like, um, if we if we take it all the way from the sacred valley of Peru back to America, you know, there's a lot of people that say the Salem witch trials were caused by LSD. You've written about that. Can you can you kind of flesh that out for some people who may not be aware of it? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, that's a fun one. <laughs> so there's yeah, like ergot fungus. So like LSD is made from from like it's derived from ergot. Um, a fungus that grows on rye, like a, a specific grain that like we've grown for a very long time as humans. Um, there's even some speculation that like the uh, um, Eleusinian mysteries, like in, in, in Greece, where they would drink, they would go, you know, there's a secret society and they would all go drink some sort of potion and nobody really knows what it is. Um, but some, uh, some pretty legendary figures uh, were there. Um, but all of them. Uh, yeah, really, <laughs> Almost, though, right? really, pretty much all of them. It went for a very long time, too. So there's some yeah. speculation that was LSD. And so or like an, an ergot, something derived from ergot that somebody Agreed. somehow figured out that if you ferment this fungus in wine or something, you can get, you know, a, have a pretty amazing experience. So there's also been around the world um, instances of ergotism, which is when the, the ergot grows on the rye grains and, you know, people like make bread or something and then consume, like you need to consume a fair amount of it, I believe, to, to get altered um and, and then people eat it too much if it's famine or if they're just not aware mm -hmm. and then yeah people like kind of start going crazy um after a certain point people like they, they die but a lot of people will have um like delusions or um like i wrote another story about another an island in greece where there was yeah. they thought that they were eating this and everyone thought they could fly um, a lot of people have uh, put this on witches in other parts of the world as well so in Salem, they think the same thing happened, that there was, um, you know, ergot growing on the rye and that the people in the village that they were eating, <laughs> that they were eating too much of this. And then everyone thought they were witches uh, yeah. because everybody was tripping out and then everyone got carried away and ended up executing. I forget how many, but like a terrible amount of people. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like the historians, they'll like. You know, there's all kinds of papers and things debating whether or not it was really ergot or not. And I, I honestly have no idea. Um, I think it's a great idea. I think yeah. in that story, I lean towards that. It's like, we don't know. And it might not have been. But but it's definitely happened to other places around the world, this this ergotism. Yeah, it's a fascinating. It, and for anybody who's ever taken LSD or had a psychedelic experience, you could totally see how, uh, imagine getting a large dose or even a moderate dose of LSD, but not even knowing it. Like, and all of a sudden things are moving. You might have, you might have some special powers or something. You're melting people's faces, you know, yeah. like, well, it's and imagine, crazy. Like, imagine the whole town does it. Like, that's crazy. Whoa. Like if everybody, including like your community leaders, you're all yeah. tripping and like, and you're all afraid of witches because you're like in the new world and like, you know, like things are tough. And, and you're looking for 
you're maybe looking for solutions or looking for what's wrong and everyone's a bit superstitious and yeah yeah that's not like and everybody doing it and for a long period of time that is not <laughs> a good scenario <laughs> I'm I'm so stoked that you brought up the Eleusinian mysteries. Like, I think it's in some ways. I think all these places coming up, or, or this Renaissance and psychedelic, or whatever we want to call it, it's almost like a return to the Eleusinian mysteries. Mm. But you know, I, I really like the idea of, from what I've read about it, you know, this idea of everyone being able to go and. I like the idea of there being the play of like Persephone and Demeter and the daughter dying and then they, they rediscover her. I think that's a brilliant way for people to go through a almost a, a rite of passage or a community ritual that would really bring people together. And I think in today's world, at least in the West, we're devoid of almost all of these rites of passage and rituals. And what? let me ask you this, Patrick. If you had carte blanche if you had a ton of money and you could set up the eleusinian mysteries today what would it look like <laughs> well that's a, that's quite the question yeah i mean I, I really like what you said about gathering together in community um i'm a huge fan of that of of basically taking psychedelics like as a group um like i haven't had the privilege of doing psychedelic therapy so i can't really speak to what that's like but like i know that some of my most profound experiences have been with with other people um with yeah with psychedelics with uh things like like music mm -hmm. um yeah, yeah it's really interesting the idea of having a like a play or like some yeah. sort of um just something to like like when we were talking about the the geometry something to like make meaning out of you know like here like the, the music it, it's just so good for that like you know someone sings some line and, and you just you feel so much from it because it's so meaningful because you're in this this open state so i mean if i was going to do it again I mean, I'd probably stick like decently close to what people are already doing because like they've been doing it a long time um, and I don't really want to mess with that. Like get people together, um, probably yeah, have some kind of like some kind of ritualized thing just to like keep everybody like safe and on the same page uh, and probably just like some some good music and, and like some spending lots of time together before and afterwards too for that like that preparation, that integration, that like solidifying all those connections together. Um, and, and like with each other too, because it just brings people so close together when it, when it goes really well and everyone gets on like the same page when everyone gets, I don't know, it's kind of this like, like a vibe, like people are like, yeah. we're, we're just so connected and, and, and present with each other. And it's, it's really, really beautiful. And I really think that there's something there for that, particularly about like a rite of passage or something as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. I, it seems maybe this is just echoing my own life. But it seems to me that maybe maybe in the West we've just gone through this spiritual void where you know you have Christianity and you have these other religions and things, but it seems like what people have gone through in the last 150 years is like this religion of of money, like this idea that you have to buy your way out of purgatory or you have to buy your your happiness and when you start looking at people that are changing the way in which they've decided to live their lives like you saying you know what i'm gonna just go to peru or i'm gonna go explore it's like this it's it's almost like the hero's journey in a way like you're looking for this idea of who i am and what you find along the way are these incredible experiences with other people 
And then that opens up the door to meaning and what life means and what it can mean. And when you encompass all that, I think you have a spirituality reborn. And it seems like that's kind of happening. Now, what's your take on spirituality, the world we're living in versus the world that we've come from? Yeah, that's a that's a big conversation. I, yeah. I like that you asked that. Like, it's almost a loaded word, spirituality. But I, I really, yeah, I really, I really appreciate what you said about it being money. Like for me these days, I think about it being science and money. Like that, yeah. those are kind of the things that are like our ultimate, like our ultimate truths. It's, it's like a religion. Oh, like, is there it seems science? Like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that we worship it like that, and like, like it's valuable. Like, like. Like there's, there's reasons to value it. Like, I'm not saying that those things right. aren't legitimate. I spend a lot of time <laughs> trying to figure All those things us. out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't think it's a, it's not like a holistic view. It's not, it's not the whole enchilada. Like there's just so much else out here. Like there's so much that we don't get to consider if we're only in those paradigms. Um, and I think it's becoming a very personal thing, spirituality. It's not, it's not going to be, maybe it will be, but like, it's not going to be religions and organized like it has been in the past it, it is kind of my, the way I see it unfolding here, for example, like this is sort of a, a kind of a spiritual community. Like people come from all over the world. They, they drink medicine, you know, they're doing yoga, meditation, Qigong, like what, like anything you can think of here. I call it the spiritual buffet, but people <laughs> go and they just, they pick what works for them and they piece it all together in a way that works for them and find the other people that are doing the same thing they find the others and you know it, it feels a little chaotic and disjointed at times but for me i'm really just happy to see people and like get to experience myself like actually finding meaning actually finding like whoa there was stuff i did not even consider going on here in this reality and i love getting to connect with it or or, or contemplate it or or experiment with it um so yeah i mean that, that's how i see it emerging here in, in my in my little reality in the sacred valley um but yeah it's such a huge question like i, I really don't know where that's going like i know where i want it to go like i right. just want more people to be interested in this stuff and, and be open to it um but i also yeah i feel like i couldn't be prescriptive or something because i have no idea what's going to work or what's going to mean something for people yeah, maybe that and maybe that's how we kind of got into some of this mess is people trying to dictate to other people like how it should be, you know, instead of it being a celebration of your connection to your community and your family and the world around you. It became this sort of authoritarian structure of like it, it's almost a throwback to the dark ages when like people couldn't read and like you had one person saying, well, here's what the Bible says. What do you got to do? You know, and. And now it's like people are learning to read their own type of spirituality and make their own connections. And in doing so, I think you make a richer, fuller world, more chaotic because it, it, it shakes the foundation of the authority figures and the authoritarian structures. And, you know, you can make the argument that we're seeing finance kind of collapse around the world. And maybe that's the absence of meaning for it. And, I'm excited for the future. I really think that even though it's so chaotic, it seems like a new birth to me. And, and everybody who's been fortunate enough to have a child knows that birth is a miracle because there's a real chance that the child can die or the mom can die during childbirth. But when the baby's brought out and mama's okay and the baby's there and you hear him cry for the first time, like 
it's just this celebration of life. And I see with so, with the demographics that we have of so many boomers and so a large part of us. And when I say us, I mean the human person, the human animal, the human part of the planet is dying because the, the demographics are so big. And it seems to me like that's the birth. But there's also this green shoot of new people coming up that are reinventing language, that are reinventing ideas. And it's it's fascinating. How do you see, in your opinion, the the world beginning to awaken from from a dream? Or do you see it at all like that? Like, how do you see the next phase of your life going? And does that apply to the world? Nice. Yeah. 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 There's there's a lot there, too. Like, I think I can relate to you talking about chaos, maybe some collapse, but then sure. feeling excited. It's change. yeah. Yeah. Something something new is happening. I'm always down for that. Me too. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there's definitely going to be some disruption. And I do think that kind of the ways that we've been are not going to be able to exist in the way that they have. Like we, like you mentioned the, the dark ages and there's one guy that like has all the answers. Now, you know, I have Google. You, you can't yeah. do that anymore. It's not going yeah. to work. Things like that, the way that information is disseminated, the way that people are, for whatever reason, it does seem to me getting a bit more interested in spirituality. You know, I can't speak for a lot of the world. I can only speak for, right. for what I know and what's real to me. But but there does seem to be some changes going on. I, I tend to be very conscious or, or cautious about like a consciousness shift or something like that. I'm really open to the idea. I'm really curious about if something like that happens. Um I recently got exposed to ideas from, uh, oh goodness, what's his name? Ken Wilber, the guy, mm. this guy, he does um, he, like a whole bunch of work about the evolution of consciousness, like studying history. It's like, it's quite complicated. It, once again, like uh, a deep rabbit hole. I, I would like to spend more time in when I have a moment, <laughs> but he seems to think that for sure that that consciousness is changing. It's shifting. Um, he's like mapping it out. Um, so I, I do think that there's changes going on. I think that's how it's always been. Um, and it's possible there's big ones coming if financial financial collapse or, or um, environmental issues, like if those things just become so real that people have to do things differently. Um, yeah, so it begs the question to me of if it's some sort of like cosmic destiny consciousness shift or if it's just like cause and effect, like oh, we got to this point, we got to like figure out a way to like live with a little bit more connection and meaning to like ourselves and each other, like around the planet and stuff. If, if we're going to survive as a collective and, and make a better world, which I'm very optimistic about. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my rambly answer to that question. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Sometimes I like, I like to use my imagination to, to come up with ideas of what is possible. And mm. recently, usually, usually when I'm on like hour four of a, mushroom trip coming down i get all these i look up into the sky and you just have all these ideas of like wow you know just just this explosion of imagination and it it makes me think i started thinking about cycles and how you know if you look at our planet it's tilted and we and we go around the sun and you know you got seasons and so we go around the sun the sun goes around the galaxy the galaxy goes around the universe you have like this cosmic year and wouldn't it make sense if we have seasons on the planet? Wouldn't we have seasons in like the cosmic year? And you start looking at the planet and you're like, wow, the magnetic North Pole is migrating at a faster rate than it's ever done before. And isn't it weird that we seem to be moving in this way? And like, 
you know, and you can go back and read such great literature about it was the best of times. It was the worst of times, you know, and like, yep, I know yep. that they're not all connected, but in, for me, they kind of are. And it, sure. and, and it, it is just speculation and it's ideas and it's imagination. But at times I think it's a beautiful place to live. And, and I'm wondering what, what is it that you go to, to your imagination? Like when you're coming down from like a four hour mushroom trip and you have a few moments with your partner, or maybe you're alone and you're staring into the sky, what do you think about? Oh, wow. I think about a lot of things. My mind is going crazy at that period. I love it, though. I love it. Yeah. Um, what you talked about, cycles and yeah. like, life age of the earth. And these, I, I tend to get pretty big picture, actually, um, sometimes uh, about, yeah. you know, this going beyond my timeline and like ancestral things or, or seeing like the life ages of the earth and just imagining the consequences, all that. And yeah, I like thinking about space and all of the, <laughs> the cycles and, and th because I, yeah, I agree. Like there's just cycles here. It just seems to be a law of nature. Things just, just, they go through these, these transformations. Um, I see no reason why we, we, we wouldn't be going through those constantly ourselves as well. And yeah. micro and macro scales. Um, yeah, I definitely, I think about, I think about writing for sure. I get a lot of ideas there. I think about my relationships and, and people around me. I spent a lot of time thinking about the environment. Um, yeah. Like it's a thing. I was a tree planter for a long time and studied in permaculture and regenerative agriculture and all this stuff. So I definitely, sometimes I still like fantasize about like different, different designs or, or different ways that it could be <laughs> um, like reimagining. Uh, I'm thinking of a specific particular ayahuasca ceremony where I'm reimagining cities and reimagining like what this valley could be like if we got our shit together kind of thing. <laughs> um i mean it's like it's endless though it could be anything from tweets to like really deep stuff about like my relationship with my wife or something it, it's it's uh there's no real rules there but that is a powerful time that so yeah. you're past the peak you've kind of done the work and now it's already starting to integrate and there's there's a lot coming through so i haven't i don't i i have a, a limited experience with a lot of other psychedelics is there that same come down and integration period, say on ayahuasca or uh, San Pedro, or is that something that's unique to the mushroom? Gosh, I mean, they're all a little unique, but I, I you know, I see that same like peak. Yeah. And then you, you come right. down with like waves. I would say they're all very similar to that. Um, San Pedro is a lot longer. San Pedro is mm -hmm. longer, like gentler to come up and, and slower to come down. Um, ayahuasca for me sometimes hits like immediately and then drops away really quickly as mm -hmm. well but you know it's it's also different I'm, I'm so hesitant to say like one's like right. this and one's like that because like i say that and then i'll go do it and it'll be like oh you thought it was this way hey <laughs> yeah i am um, i was speaking with a girl uh really nice nice really smart uh karina cunha and she runs a like a uh kind of a consignary kind of a kind of a kind of a uh a place where you go to find out what area might be good for you. And she, we were talking about for her, she really likes the integration period for LSD. And the way she described it was like, I told her, I'm like, well, yeah, you know, for me, I'm a little bit older and I got, I got a family. So, you know, eight or nine hours is a difficult time for me to find, to do something like that. And she, she was laughing. She's like, yeah, I could understand that. She's, but she said, the reason I like it is because of the length, you know, the yeah. come down on LSD is like a, and she described it so beautiful. It's like a spiral staircase where I can, 
I don't have to focus on one thing where mushrooms I might have an hour. You know, in LSD, I have like four hours so I can come down the staircase and hold this idea for a while and walk over to here and hold this idea for a while and really integrate four or five different things. I just thought it was a beautiful way to put that. And so. Right. I super agree. I, I'm, I lean towards the longer trips as well right. and, and sympathize that. Yeah. It's hard to find the time to, yeah. to, to be on masculine for 16 hours. <laughs> like what the heck <laughs> that's a, it's a big commitment, but um, I, yeah, I, I get, I get, that's why I said I was so excited about San Pedro. Actually, it's longer. It's a little bit more gentle. I'm not just like dealing with overwhelm. I, mm. I can really, I can communicate with people. I can get up and move around and do things. It's it's a lot easier to write things down, to play music, to do all kinds of different activities that I could never dream of doing on on ayahuasca or a high dose of something else. Um, and I, I really, yeah, I'm just a big believer in integration, and it just it just it allows more for that than like smoking DMT or something. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't have the death by astonishment factor, <laughs> which is neat, which is, yeah, neat, totally, totally. Definitely hard to integrate sometimes. Yeah. Oh, you're, ah, what happened? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, where am I? What happened? happened? Am I okay? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm very fortunate. I get to speak to a lot of cool people and authors and, and sometimes a lot of the authors that I talk to and at times I've experienced this where you sit down to write and you feel like something's writing through you. Do you ever get that feeling when you're doing writing? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I call it channeling. Like it just, you can just do it. It just happens. I kind of, uh, I kind of like sit down and do it on purpose. Sometimes I can, mm. I can sort of just put my brain aside and, and write. Uh, I don't really, I don't really know what to say about that. It's, it's really interesting because it gives a very different perspective. Um, yeah. Yep. I, I like to use it to give myself advice is what I do. I use it as a journaling prompt and, and I'll, I'll get out of my own way. And then this other part just kind of talks and it gives, it gives really good advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, um, it really underscores the age old line of why don't you follow your own advice? Cause you don't really give yeah. yourself the advice you would give someone else, but in that state, and th this brings up another question, like that's a great way, you know, often it's difficult for people at the height or even in a psychedelic experience to bring stuff back, especially if you're kind of new to it because you're, you know, it, it's difficult to remember things. Maybe just the way the brain is firing or functioning. It's difficult to bring back food for the tribe or food for yourself. And sometimes writing can do that. Sometimes I'll use my phone and like talk into it, but have you found any any techniques that you could share with people who are are maybe trying to bring something back from that state? I mean, you named two of my favorites right there. Right, is writing and, and voice notes. It's yeah. so good to just just ramble. Um, yep. Especially because I can't always write. Let's be honest; <laughs> yeah. like, it's just not possible. So, yeah, I do both of those. Um, I find so many different ways to try to remind myself things, though, like just writing little notes. Um, like downloading apps, uh, leaving objects out, like, oh, I should paint a picture, getting all of my mm -hmm. art supplies and just putting them on the table. Um, yeah, talking yeah. to friends. It's kind of like, you know, like sometimes I can't use my phone or... I can't even see it sometimes. It's like, do I yeah. can't even put the button on there. <laughs> like, I can't do any of it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. It, it, and that's fine. It's great. It's great to be able to to, to disconnect from these, yeah. these things that I take for granted. Yeah. Um, but it's like leaving myself clues. I have to figure out ways that I'm going to try to remember it later. It could be drawing a picture. It could be putting an object in a prominent place. It could be 
uh, yeah, I'm, those are really the biggest things that I do is just write it down, is write it down or tell people to remind me not that that works mm -hmm. if everyone's on psychedelics. Um, yeah, yeah, there's probably others, but I'm, I'm, I'm can't think of them right now. Those are, but those I would are recommend great voice ones. notes for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Even it's, though it's weird to listen to them afterwards. Sometimes it's a little awkward <laughs> or embarrassing, but yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I, I can't even make sense of what I'm saying, but even the ramblings will trigger a thought about, Oh, I think it was this. And it might not have been that, but I'll start going off on an, on another. I love the way you said, I'll leave myself clues. Cause that's exactly what they are. It's like, Hmm, here's a clue to this thing, you know, and like breadcrumbs in a way. And, and I would say too, um, upon integration, taking <laughs> those ridiculous, perhaps insane sounding breadcrumbs seriously and spending time with them. That's something I, I do intentionally where I'm like, oh, this makes no sense. And instead of just throwing it in the garbage, I'm like, well, well, what was it supposed to mean? And really like working at trying to figure out what I was trying to tell myself. Um, because so sometimes it does come through or, you know, I don't even know if it's the actual thing I was supposed to be doing, but if it inspires something else, then it's of value to me. Yeah. I want to, I want to stay there for a minute because I, I think sometimes that process leads to a, better clarification of how you can navigate your way through life. I, I wrote down this quote that says the plans with which one approaches one's own awareness of ongoing private experience determine to a great extent, the probability of increased complexity of associational structures, right? It's like a real, like that, that I know that's like a big mouthful of words and yeah. people that want to go back and listen to it totally makes sense. But the way you begin to investigate your own thoughts even, and if it's something that happened during a psychedelic experience, it it actually paves a pathway for you to do that same investigation on your thoughts when you're in your conscious state of mind, whatever conscious means. But you begin to use that form of investigation in your everyday thoughts, in your relationships, in your workplace, in your writing. And that alone has a powerful way of changing the world around you because you you are your thoughts in a way you are what you project out there. So if you can begin to change the way you think, you know what, maybe that's just describing neuroplasticity the more that I think about it, but you know, it's, it's that type of thing that happens on a psychedelic experience that happens in integration that has fundamental changes about the way we see the world. Right. It's so fascinating to me. I mean, that kind of, that is integration for me. Right. It's like, yeah. that, like deep contemplation. It's not that the psychedelics gave me all the answers. Like they might've also, just giving me clues to something else that's, that that's I'm going to figure yeah. out later. It's not that it all happens in those six hours or whatever. It's, it's about putting that time and effort in after the fact to make sense of it or to, to, to make more meaning out of it. it it's not necessarily about face value for me. So one thing leads to another and to another and to another. And um, it's not, it's not something that we're going to see in the moment in my experience. It's something that needs to be investigated. That's really well said. I think that that's doing the work and that's why doing the work is so hard because there's no roadmap and you're trying to figure it out and there's only you. To, you could talk to people and stuff, but ultimately you're the person that has to rewire your brain. You're the person that has to make the connections because you're the only person that can. And people can tell you about their experiences. People can tell you their thoughts, but they're, that's other people's. And that, that, that might be a giant problem with our world is, and maybe it's exactly what we were talking about. Everybody's been conditioned 
to listen to other people, listen to your elders. When you go to school, you sit in a class with bells and whistles like a Pavlovian dog and you're trained to do this thing. But you begin on a psychedelic journey and you're like, oh, I, this is I have to do this. And you come out such a you, you, you can come out a person with a way better perspective. I love talking to you. Man. This is beautiful. I, I like the way we're moving through these ideas, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's really fun to, to voice these things. Um, like I, I started recently doing like integration coaching with people because mm -hmm. I love doing this exact thing that we're doing yeah. now. Like, oh, like we got the thing. Like, how do we turn that into a thing yeah. that we can actually do? And it actually means something and it actually matters as opposed to like some just like wild abstraction um, that that like just feels overwhelming, you know, like, oh, my God, I saw the cosmic servant on ayahuasca. And like, what do I do with that? But yeah, I, I do. I do believe that if we can. um if we can really take responsibility for, for those things that happen, like what you were saying, like you can talk to people and I'm a huge believer in that of like, like getting support and being part of community and that kind of thing, but nobody can do it for us. It always comes back to that. Like we yeah. have to figure out, like I have to figure out what it means and then I have to do something with it. Otherwise that meaning is like, you know, like I spent, you know, probably a bunch of money and a bunch of time and a bunch of like energy going through this, perhaps difficult psychedelic experience so like i'm committed to getting something out of that because it, it, it takes a lot of effort yeah i know you do a lot of research in your chat you're you're reading the different recently published papers and and you're up to date on all these things that are happening in the space i'm wondering uh two another two-part question the first part is have you read this study and the second part is what you think and the study is I think DARPA has come out with this idea of finding a way to give people psychedelics that doesn't really have a spiritual component to it. And I guess spiritual is the wrong word. They're trying to get someone like a psychedelics while they're anesthetized so that they don't have, they want to yeah, know, yeah, can yeah. they get, can they get that neuroplasticity? Can they get that learning without being real conscious? Do you think that, what do you think? Do you think that would work or do you think that you need all components? What, what do you think? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I have a strong bias towards it not doing yeah, me what, too. Okay. what they can do. I don't want to poison now. the well. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, like the phenomenal, phenomenological experience, like the, the personalized meaning that you get from those visions or those feelings like having like amplified emotions on psychedelics, I can't see there being a substitute for that. That makes not much sense to me, but I will admit, like I've read, I've read some of that research. It's, it's very interesting. I think that there's potentially other things about the brain and the mind that can be learned. Um, there's some pretty, pretty cool stuff that some companies are doing, um, microdosing people with DMT and seeing neurological growth. Um, again, I think that without some kind of habit or some kind of integration, some sort of new new neural pathways that are reinforced by like actual actions or something. I, I don't understand how that would change anybody's life, to be honest. Um, and personally, I just like, like go on the journey. Like it's scary and it's hard. That's the point. Like it's supposed to be difficult. If it was so easy, it wouldn't be such a big deal. Um, it wouldn't be so impactful for our lives. So I, I really, I, I encourage that. Although I'm, you know, I'm super curious to see what that research finds. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess on some level, you know, one of the benefits that people were saying that might be awesome about it is like, what if someone was in a state of dementia or had some sort of degenerative disease where they couldn't, you know, they, they 
they were almost at a point where they were unable to communicate or even maybe not even be there. And you could begin microdosing them or and maybe begin to build back some of that, those connections, which brings me to another, there was a recent article in Spanner mag. I think it's Spanner magazine. I think it's Cody's magazine. And, uh, they recently came out and had an article about it, an older gentleman who had dementia and his son had begun him on a course of microdosing. And, you know, it's, it's it's interesting the results that happen. You know, he, the way he told the story, and I, I don't I can't cite the medical people on there, so I'm just citing this as a story and, and whatnot. But uh there was a gentleman whose father was beginning to in the beginning to get to the later stages of dementia. So he no longer could drive, he was kind of in a bed, he would be propped up on the couch, he used to play guitar, he used to do all these things, and and those were going away, and they they had pretty much stopped. His son had done some research and spoken to some professionals about what if we got him on a course of, of you know, psilocybin microdosing. And they, they worked with some professionals and they figured out it wasn't going to be a problem because he there was medicine had almost given up on him. So they took this course and everyone should go read the, the article in Spanner magazine. And uh, a little quick blurb is that one day he came home, you know, he'd been used to seeing his dad laying in bed and, and missing him. And one day he came home and he heard a guitar playing and he opened the door and his dad was beginning to play guitar again. He's like, dad, what are you doing? He's like, I, I don't know why I haven't been playing guitar, but I just felt like it. It was a really heartwarming story, man. Like That's I get beautiful. goosebumps when I talk about it. Yeah. And so the, the premise is like, might it be possible for psychedelics to be something that can be used to help degenerative brain disease? And, According to that story, the answer is yes. You know, it's, so it's it, it's a beautiful thing that could be happening out there. Have you heard any other stories like that, or what's your take on psychedelics maybe being a potential for for brain health and older age? Yeah, um, I've definitely heard other stories like that for sure. Um, for for all kinds of ailments, to be honest, yeah. I've heard a story about psychedelics, <laughs> but in particular neurodegenerative diseases, that seems like such a a fruitful point of research because we just kind of have no idea what to do otherwise, just like those professionals found out. Like it's mm -hmm. um, just the fact that it's neurogenesis that, that yeah. they've shown that these can literally regrow your nerve cells. And um, if, if we dig into, you know, like, like that's not the only way that we can affect neuroplasticity. Like, like if, if, if we combine psychedelics, yeah, potentially microdoses with like therapies, like physical or, or, um, or mental health like type therapies with those it, it stands to reason to me that that would encourage the neurogenesis and, and help people like like get back to where they wanted to be um again this is like i feel like that stuff is very cutting edge neuroscience like it, it's sure. really really interesting and super promising in my opinion um like I, i'm not really aware of much other many other options for people in that situation um and i, I would love to see actually um, I'll have to read that article, but it, it's like a last resort for somebody. I would really like to see that get done in, in earlier stages, right? Or, right. Or like as a preventative, even. Right. Um, Agreed. There's, there's so many potentials there, um, and I, I imagine as like the stigma lessens and, and people get more curious about about these dangerous drugs, uh, that there'll be uh, there'll be some breakthroughs there. I, I, I hope. I really hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I was. You know, it's interesting that we talk about that. I was talking to a this really 
uh, interesting guy who's got his own podcast called Leader Leader Delix, I think it's called. Sebastian, I'm sorry if I got that wrong, man. But he he comes down to the Sacred Valley sometimes, and and he was telling me about maybe you know there's a guy named Luke down there that does like some brain mapping, and he was able to um I'll I'll give you his his thing. Please, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna reach out to cool. him as well. And and he was talking about you know they they would in this particular setting people would come down and they would hook them up to like an EEG machine. They would get these readings and then they would have a ceremony and they would do it after again and compare and contrast like a brain map kind of towards it. And we're able to find some pretty cool information about connectivity and thought process. And when you had said it would be nice for people to use psychedelics before it got to the point of dementia, you know, I think you're seeing this growing together of of neuro neuroscience and psychedelics and mapping and the science and the the, the biological part of it are kind of coming together in a way. It's 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 cool to see it come together. Have you read any other articles about brain mapping and psychedelics? No, I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about brain mapping. Um, in fact, I'm not even entirely sure what you mean by the term. Is that just like examining people's different brain waves and things while they're while they're on psychedelics? Yeah, I think it's 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 like the there's a series of it, I know, and it's such a broad brush to say brain mapping, you know. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, there's people that go on. You see, if if you go online, you can see like the fMRI sometimes, sure. and you can see the connectedness. And we've learned that the default mode network is overrided, and so yeah, I'm just okay, using yeah. yeah, I'm just using that as like a broad brush. But it, that that science seems to be emerging in a way where we will be able to. I mean, we could probably already explain it going through it, but to have another map to help us as a visual aid would probably be helpful for insurance reasons or getting psychedelics to the people before they get there. It's, it's interesting to think about. No, it's amazing stuff. My understanding is it's actually like pretty expensive and difficult yeah. to do a lot of those studies, sure. um, particularly if you're going to, you know, bring like you, you can't give someone an fMRI in the jungle. <laughs> like. It's really hard to create, um, I think they call it in science, like naturalistic conditions when, mm -hmm. when people are doing these brain mapping studies. Um, yeah, brain mapping, like I've, I've read about it for sure. Like I come across it in the science, but I don't generally write about it very much because it's just, I, I try to, I tend to stay away from stuff I don't think I can explain. Like if, if yeah. I don't, if I can't understand it and simplify it and put it in an article, I'm, I'm just not touching it because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I, right. I really feel psychedelics is such a sensitive space and I don't want to give any, any wrong impressions or, or make bold claims that like, yeah, like you can cure your dementia with like microdoses, take <laughs> totally. this much every day. Like, it's just, I don't have the authority to say that stuff, but I would love to talk to, to an expert here in the Valley. Yeah. Would love. Yeah. 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 We'll make it happen. We'll, we'll, we'll get them in touch. I, you know, it, Another sort of polarizing topic that seems to be in the world of psychedelics today is the the cost in which it takes for like there's these clinical trials happening, you know, and it seems at least here in the United States that you know some ketamine treatments or a, even a psilocybin treatment can be upwards of like between five and twenty grand or something like that, and it yeah. it seems to get away from maybe some of the people that need it are the guy that lives under the bridge that has had an emotional breakdown. Versus John from Silicon Valley, who's going to create the next bad GPT-7, which John's probably an awesome guy too, you know, but totally. <laughs> and I yeah, want yeah, him totally. to take Yeah, yeah. John, John's not at fault here. But not like, at all. He's awesome. Yeah. But there's a, there's a great article that came out, I think, yesterday in Vice about that, uh, decolonizing psychedelics, just talking about, yeah. 
how how not all communities are involved and it's right. it's a problem um i mean like i see it every day living in peru it's like you know the, the local peruvian does not get to do what i get to do here it's it's mm-hmm. and i don't i don't know i don't know offhand what the solutions to that kind of stuff are um and yeah like you mentioned the the cost like yeah i mean that that's a place to start like it's like ketamine is not that expensive to make um and and getting enough practitioners so that these costs can come to reasonable levels but making sure that they're compensated ideally like if got when governments finally open the doors to this stuff like subsidizing or, or, or like insuring this kind of thing is like I, I there is some optimistic stuff coming up about that this these things will be covered by by insurance at some point with some level but right now the skepticism level is just so high um and, and yeah yeah, it's tough. I don't really like saying that I don't know the answers. It makes me think I should probably think about these kind of things more because it's it's such a it's a hot topic right now, and it's a hot topic for a reason. It's it's difficult. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a weird feeling to come back from my ayahuasca ceremony and have like the cab driver driving me, and like he's never got to do it, and like I don't know. It's just like it feels uncomfortable, and it's really hard to bridge those connections. Uh, it, it's it's not. Yeah, it, it's not a simple thing because because of things like stigma, because of things like. Um, yeah, just like huge cultural differences, uh, like yeah. education. Um, it, it's really large, complex issues that, that, yeah, hopefully we can figure out. Yeah, it seems that there there are a lot of people finding ways to to have therapy or go to retreats. And, you know, another topic to, sometimes, too, is that sometimes people go to a retreat that's not very good for them or it's more of like there's 50 people at this place or – you know, let, let's say, Patrick, that that there was people in the audience that were thinking about going to a retreat somewhere and they they they, they have the, they're fortunate enough to be able to do it. What are some warning signs or some things that they should look for that might be a good one versus might be something that's not so good? Is there anything that someone could look for? Um, yeah, there's definitely a few things uh, like for me, I started doing this through word of mouth. Um, I wanted to come to Peru and drink ayahuasca and I was nervous because there is yeah. reason to be nervous. Um, people have gotten taken advantage of like way too many women have been sexually abused and, and men too. Like I'm sure it's, it, but it's just, it, it, it is a bit of the wild west. So I went through referrals of people that I trusted. Um, that is the best go-to in my opinion. Um, researching any kind of center online, um, Choosing centers, um, it's sort of to go back to the last topic we were talking about, um, choosing facilitators and practitioners who like have a connection to the medicine, like an ancestral connection. Um, not to say that there's not expat facilitators of ayahuasca here in the Sacred Valley that aren't skilled and can't help you, like not at all, but there's, there's other people that, that could definitely use the income and a lot of it does go back to people's communities. But again, like just like doing your homework, um, People have reputations for a reason, um, and also like it's kind of a weird one, but like 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 trust your gut. Like you, you have to feel it. Like if you if someone makes you uncomfortable, like you're gonna feel more uncomfortable when you're really high around them. So don't mm-hmm. do it. Don't do it. There's lots of practitioners. Just because you like show up in a cafe here and some guy offers to take you on a Wachuma hike, does not mean you should do it. <laughs> you should like 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 take your time. Like there's lots there's lots of really good people that really want to help people. Um, but there's other people that want to take advantage. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's using discernment, being patient, 
Um, yeah. And, and really just connecting to other people who are doing this kind of work. So you have like the support and you can get the knowledge through the grapevine of, of who's good and, and, and who's not. Yeah. That's, I think that's great information for people to begin doing their own research and their own journey on. I know you love writing. Have you, it's passion for you. And, and have you thought about writing like a series of sci-fi books or have you got like another book coming on or do you, are you going to go down that book route at some point in time? Oh, book route. I mean, I feel like most writers want to go down the book route at some point. Yeah, definitely. Definitely have some ideas. Um, a sci-fi book. I mean, I like reading sci-fi, but I've never, I've never written any of it. Maybe when I get older, if I had, I would need, I, I got to pay the bills. So I got to, I know, I know. Websites for now. <laughs> uh, some great websites. So I'm, I'm very happy that support me. Um, but yeah, I would love to do, um, I'd love to do a longer form book uh, about integration, probably do it with somebody else who's, mm -hmm. who's done it um, a bit longer than me. Definitely have some ideas around that. Um, yeah, I mean, I would love to write about my own personal journey at some point because it is long and, and colored to getting to where I am. Um, and yeah, maybe do some fiction eventually, but I need to write some <laughs> short stories first. Yeah, yeah man. I think you, yeah. I think you would be phenomenal. And I, I love reading and that was my personal plug to try to make you write science fiction. Cause I love it. Oh, thanks. So... <laughs> yeah, I needed that. I needed yeah, that. totally. Like, oh, science fiction. You're like, what? Kill me. I gotta, I gotta pay rent. <laughs> I, I'll send you, I, I have a really cool book that science fiction that, that has to do with the Amazon and neuroplasticity and mushrooms and what happens to the world is really good this guy uh david walton he's a really okay. good science fiction writer i'll send you the book or uh, yeah yeah and so uh well coming up on a on a on a time crunch here i gotta yeah. tell you patrick this has been a fascinating conversation and i'm so excited to get to talk to you and i'm hopeful that we can do more of them maybe when some more art sure. you know if you got an article coming out or something like that i need to get the word out I and mean, I, I would love for you to think about me to to come and talk about it. And so uh, before I let you go, um, where can people find you? Uh, and what do you got coming up? And what are you excited about? What am I excited about? Most excited right now, coaching people. Um, <laughs> I've been doing, I've been facilitating group work here in, in PSAC, um, circling authentic relating and just starting, I mean, a coaching program right now. Um, and just, yeah, it's not even just psychedelic integration, but literally just helping people, <laughs> helping people do what they, say they want to do in life <laughs> a lot of us can use a nudge and some support yeah. Uh, and yeah of course like psychedelic stuff too definitely had some people reach out of like whoa that was crazy like what now and and that psychedelics helping people create stuff that is that is by far the thing i'm most excited about right now um definitely i'm stoked to be writing some some new stuff for double blinds um writing some stuff for a website called tripsitter.org really great harm reduction website i definitely want to plug them um, gosh, I mean, there's so many projects I could just list them off, but I mean, you can, you can also find me on Twitter at Patrick McConnell. Um, my website is being updated right now, but it is adjustablenormal.com. Um, that'll be up and running in a couple of weeks and there's writing on there and a newsletter and ways that you can get in touch with me about coaching, which is also on Twitter, LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, and I think your Linktree profile has a portfolio of all your writings as well, too, where people have wanted to go and check out like a catalog. For sure, yeah. So that's my portfolio of some of my favorite pieces. Um, if you go to those websites, you can find a bunch more of other stuff I've done as well. So, 
yeah, definitely encourage people to check that out and support all the people that have let me write about all this, this strange, trippy, wonderful stuff, which is just such a great opportunity that I'm very, very thankful for. Yeah, it, it is. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. And I really admire your writing style. And I, I, I'm thankful to get to speak with you and I'm looking forward to further conversations. So that's all we it's got for today. Yay, man. The pleasure's all mine, man. It exceeded expectations, man. Thank you for that. And send my, my aloha to your friends and family out there and let them know that we're thinking about them in Hawaii. If they need to get the word out. Let me know. <laughs> so, awesome. yeah, that's what we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for spending time with myself and Patrick and hopefully enjoying the conversation as much as we did. But that's all we got for today. Patrick, hang on one sec. I'm going to shut it down, but I still want to talk to you for one more moment. Aloha, everybody. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision... Follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.